to us the word of the Lord this morning. Good morning. Well, this morning, I am going to uh, share with you, we're, we're in this series called Launching the Next Legacy. We are in the gap between holding hands with the past and, and holding hands with the future here at 100 years. Uh, I think in May 2023 will be officially 100 years as a church together in Moose Jaw. It's pretty exciting stuff. And every week we're just talking about what kind of legacy do we want to leave? What kind of legacy uh, do... Um, as Christians, do we want to leave? But also, as a church, do we want to to leave uh, behind? So, is this better if I maybe I should go up? Huh? Just the mic, okay? All right. Yeah. So, what kind of legacy do we want to leave? And today, I'm talking about a legacy for the city. But I want to ask just a question just to get us started here. How many of you, you'd say, I, I have, I'm, I'm so fortunate, I have good neighbors. I have good neighbors. I, I love the neighbors that are my neighbors in the city. They're, they're great neighbors. Okay, great. And then how many of you would say, I have some not so great neighbors. No, I'm not asking for that. <laughs> but maybe you've had that experience with not so great neighbors as well. And, um, but I bet even if you've had not so great neighbors that none of them are as bad as Brian I mean, Brian is a notoriously bad neighbor. Brian's in the middle there. You can see him with the little hat on there. And, and I, I, we've caught some photo uh, evidence of Brian's bad behavior. So let's just go through a few of these pictures here of Brian, the notoriously bad neighbor. So when his neighbor goes out to mow the lawn, he just thinks it's a spectator sport. He just sits there and watches him mow the lawn and just makes him feel uncomfortable. Bad, bad Brian. Okay, let's... Oh, here's Brian. You know what, Brian, no matter what kind of music you like, you're not supposed to play it really loud. And Brian plays his music really, really loud so the whole neighborhood could hear. Bad, bad Brian. Oh, Brian, he doesn't pay attention when he's uh, out with the snow blower and uh, he's, a few of his neighbors have got a frosty face because of it. So, man, this guy's terrible. Don't you, don't you, man, don't you just dislike Brian? Let's keep going. Yeah, look at this. He's not cleared his sidewalk, and people are trying to get through. More evidence of Brian's notoriously bad neighboring. And his dog. Oh, my. He just, I mean, Brian, get that dog under control. I can't believe how, what a menace you are in this city. And here's Brian again. Look at this. She's done it right. Look at Brian. The mess. The, oh, my. It's terrible. And then when he wants to dump out his pool, oh, that's not how you're supposed to do it, Brian. You're violating several bylaws with that, I'm sure. Is that the last of the pictures we've got? That's the last. Brian, now I want to tell you something about Brian. Brian goes to Hillcrest Church. <laughs> and Brian is not just the notoriously bad neighbor that, that is the example for what not to be like in Moose Jaw. He's also the bylaw officer who created the program. And he's part of our Hillcrest family. We love Brian. So Brian sent me, uh, he sent me an email uh, quite a while back in September, and he said he wanted to tell me about the program they were starting. It's called the Notoriously Good Neighbor Recognition Program. 
We want to acknowledge our neighbors in our community for helping and serving others. We'll be doing a city podcast on it next week and be promoting it. If someone wants to recognize a neighbor for good works they've been doing, submit their name for consideration. The winner each month gets recognized for the work they're doing and receives a prize from the Chamber of Commerce. The person submitting the nomination is anonymous, as we want to keep the focus solely on the nominee. So Brian's not really a bad neighbor, neighbor. he just plays one on TV. I mean, on the internet. And, uh, and uh, this is a great program. So here's a, here's, a, here's a hot tip. If you want to love your neighbor, and you have a good neighbor, nominate them for this. And, uh, and they'll get a, uh, some recognition and some honor for being a great neighbor. So what, how, do Christians, how do Christians view their neighbors? I mean, how do Christians view the neighbor, their neighbors, that, uh, whether they're good neighbors or bad neighbors? I think there's a couple different ways. I'm going to just boil it down to a very simple uh, it's almost like an on and off switch, but I know it's more complex than that. But I think there's two attitudes we can have as neighbors we, in our communities. Is we can have an attitude as Christians of escape or an attitude of engagement. And the attitude of escape sort of sounds a little bit like this. Well, I, I, have, um, I have Jesus in my life. I know that he's forgiven my sins and he's leading my life and he's, he's, he's uh, you know, he's, promised me a home in heaven, and, and so because I have those things, um, I'm good. I'm good. Those things are all sort of said and done in my life, and, and that's good. I've been blessed, and that seems like good, and, and uh, you know, the, there's a lot of songs that have been in the sort of the Christian catalog of songs through the years, uh, talking about this world is not my home, and I'll fly away, oh glory, and, and you know, and so we get fixed in a good way, it's not bad, in a good way on that heaven is our home. And uh, the Bible talks about how we are... <laughs> I heard that in that video with the girl saying that the one party we would have aliens, also horses, money, and it was for her business. And she, our legacy is a real leg. I was like, wow. Couldn't be clearer. But, um, yeah, there's a, actually verses in the Bible that talks about we're like aliens, not like, you know, from some planet, other planet, but we're, 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 this is not our final destination. This is not our permanent, this is a temporary destination, this is a temporary place, but that the life to come is our permanent uh, location. And so, what do you do with that? You say, I'm, I'm in Christ. We, when we looked in the Ephesians series, or I'm in relationship with Christ. I'm, a, I'm, I'm united with Christ. I'm one with Christ. I'm in Christ, but I'm in Moose Jaw. Now what? Now what? And here's the tension. Sometimes we see things happening in our community or in other people's lives, and we, we want to pull away. We want to disengage. We want to escape. We want to keep ourselves from being tainted by bad influences in the community. And there's something good in that, but there also is a danger in that because we might miss the mission that God has called us to be on. So do we have an attitude of escape or an attitude of engagement? Do you ever wonder, let me just, in a very simplistic way, say, say this. The Bible is, the vast majority of the Bible is about one thing. I put a little Kleenex, a couple Kleenexes in here to help me do this, but let me help you, just show you. 
I want, to, I want you to just have the visual here this morning. Thank you. Genesis 1 and 2, and a little bit into 3, is basically God gives a little bit of an insight on his plan for humanity. He wants to be in a relationship with them. He wants to actually partner with them in doing things. So they give Adam and Eve this garden to tend, uh, animals to give names to. It's like God is delegating work to humanity. And then they're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and care for, the, care for creation. Pretty, pretty interesting stuff. And then it all goes horribly wrong. But pause for a second. We'll get to that in a bit. The end of the Bible, this last little bit, talks about uh, God's end game, where it's going, that he wants to uh, have in an even more glorious way what he was intending to have in the beginning, and that is relationship with humanity, and that he would be their God, and they would be his people, and that he would be with them forever, and they'd experience all of his blessing. So what's this middle part about, this huge middle part of the Bible? Well, since humanity rejected God and was basically treacherous in, and, and didn't trust God and, and, and uh, rejected his plan for their life, this whole thing is about how humanity and God are separated by sin and that God is on a mission to bring them back into relationship with him. That's this part. That's this part. So the Bible... The vast, vast majority of the Bible is about God on a mission. But I want, before I go any further, I want to clarify one important detail about God's mission. The Bible is also a book about God on a mission with his people. With his people. In Genesis 12... God chose one man, one family, and one nation through whom all pe people experience God's blessing. Let me read it to you. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is a pretty fantastic promise that Abraham gets, and it's pretty significant. It's got two, this, this, um, there's, there's sort of um, a few things in here I just want to point out to you. One, we're seeing God's heart for the nations. We're seeing God's heart uh, for all the peoples of the world. His desire, and his desire to use a partnership with humanity, a partnership with his people, to bring blessing to all the peoples of the world. So, it's got two parts. It says part one is basically, I will bless you. And as Christians, we're like, well, that's awesome. We, you know, just as Kurt said, how many of you have experienced the faithfulness of God, the blessing of God in your life? Yes, many of us have. Um, so God wants to bless us. That's great. But it doesn't stop there. And this is where I think sometimes we disengage. We say, God has blessed my life, and that's great. It's wonderful, and I've got heaven, and now I'm just going to, you know, I've got time to fill until, uh, you know, to experience this earth until I go to my home in heaven. But he has blessed us to be a blessing. 
He's blessed us to be a conduit through which his blessing flows to the world. And God's call and promises to Abraham to go obediently, to, to uh, trust in me and I'll bless you and then I'll make you a great blessing. So, I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This kind of, uh, this basic, the basic gist of this is found about 400 times, a little bit less than 400 times throughout the Bible. It keeps coming back to it. This is such a significant uh, uh, repeated thing that God wants to bless the world and he wants to bless uh, the world through partnership with his people. So now let's talk about, he wants to bless the world. He wants to bless the nations. He wants to bless the peoples, it says. What's, what does that mean, the peoples? Well, um, scholars say that, you know, often if you think about blessing the nations, you think nations and countries like are the same. But actually the, the language of peoples and nations that you find here is probably talking about an ethnic group that has a similar language, similar customs, and uh, is unique in its own way. And so when you look in na many across the world, there's many, many, many of these ethnic groups. In fact, um, people who've done the research have said they think there's about 16,000, roughly, give or take, ethnic groups that are unique in the world. They share a common culture and a common language. And, and, and some of the commentators on this have said that this is how God sees the world. He sees the world not just as 234 nation, or countries, but as 16,000 peoples. And God intends to bless, bless every one of those people groups through his chosen people, through those who are following him. So this is a, this is a theme you find that's flowing from the Old Testament and right into the New Testament. Genesis 22:18 says it this way. It says, and through your offspring, this is talking to Abraham still, or seed is another word, all nations on earth will be blessed. And then into the New Testament, here's Galatians 3.16, the, the promises that were spoke to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So I'm going to bless the world through you, Abraham, through your offspring, through your children and great, 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 great grandchildren. But it's not just that, it's not just that, whoa, the Jewish people come out of Abraham. So that's the great blessing that, that, that the, the nation of Israel. Well, it's specifically talking about Jesus. The blessing for the world is Jesus. And then Galatians 3.29 says something uh, quite interesting. It says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. So it's, it's, Jesus is the great blessing for the world. Jesus is the great blessing for the world, that people can have relationship with God again. It was there in the Garden of Eden and then cut off by sin. But through Jesus, we can have access again to God. We can have relationship with him. Our sin can be dealt with. It was dealt with on the cross through Jesus' sacrificial death on our part, on our behalf. And now we can have that again. But that we also become Abraham's seed. We can become co-laborers with God again, like we were in the garden. But co-laborers in this mission that he wants to bring to the world. So 
in the New Testament, we clearly become God's people on mission to bring his blessing to all the people in the world. So, let's read a little bit more about that. Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, do what? Go and make disciples of all the nations. With who? I am with you always. That's that co-laboring with God. Until when? To the very end of the age. Interesting, when we talk about the very end of the age, like we're talking about those last few pages in the Bible where Christ will come, his second coming, and he'll take all who are his to himself and, and he'll dwell with them in, in eternity. So it's pretty fantastic stuff. But you know what? The second coming of Jesus has often caused people to sort of lose their, their marbles different times. Uh, maybe that's a crass way of saying it, but it's often led people to um, do things and, and, um, and get themselves involved in things that don't look like people on the mission. They actually look like people who are disengaged from the mission. I remember it was a number of years ago, um, there was uh, sort of a movement in Korea, and Korea is a very Christianized nation. There's uh, one estimate I saw years ago was that 40% of the nation uh, calls themselves Christians. So it was a very Christian nation in South Korea. But there was a, a group of Christians that believed that they had figured out when Jesus was going to come again. And so they gathered themselves together and they climbed up to the top of a mountain waiting for his arrival. Now, if you read the Bible, you'll, you'll see there's verses in there about nobody knows the day or the hour of his arrival. So that's a little bit foolish to, to sort of go against that verse and say, oh, no, we know now. And, uh, but I, I thought it was interesting. Even if they were right, which they weren't, even if they were right, that struck me as strange that they would climb a mountain to wait. To me, that's disengagement from the culture around them. If I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, well, I'd have a lot of phone calls to make today. There'd be a lot of people I'd want to talk to and just say, get right with God. You know, he, he loves you. He stands ready to forgive your sins if you will, if you will repent and you will turn from, from, from sin and turn to him. He'll embrace you. He'll make you his son or daughter, part of his family. He'll give you the, the promise of heaven, and you can take that to the bank. And I'd want to have conversations with so many people if I knew he was coming back tomorrow. But here were these people. They knew, they, or they believed they knew he was coming back, and then they just left the people who aren't united with Christ, who aren't trusting in Christ for their salvation. They left them to their fate. So, Jesus said, go and make all dis disciples of all nations. So, we're talking about reaching all the nations, 16,000 people groups. Mark 13.10 says it this way, the gospel must first be preached to all nations. So, it's in the context of before Jesus' second coming. It must first be preached to all nations. This year we changed uh, a bit of our allocation. So we, we support people who've gone to the nations. 
But we, we, sh we shifted a little bit this year in that we really, uh, there's a real emphasis on unreached peoples. If there's 16,000 people groups in the world and there's a number of them that are unreached, well then we should send people to places where there isn't an established church. So there's sort of like, um, there's, there's, there's places where there's an established church. You have an ethnic group, common language, common culture, and somebody has gone there. And they have, uh, they have reached them. What, what does it mean to reach them? It, it, there's enough people who become followers of Jesus within that culture that is self-sustaining, and they can reach their neighbors, and they can reach their cities, and they can reach their ethnic group. So that's what we call a reached nation. Now, they still have to do the work of evangelism. They still have to do the work of, of, of bringing the, the message of Jesus to their culture, but they have people within that culture who can give themselves to the task. So there's an established church. But the unreached are those ones that don't have an established church that actually can do that task within themselves. So someone has to come from the outside, from a different culture, to do cross-cultural work and to, and to try their absolute best to, to reach them. And um, every nation needs a witness of Christ's coming kingdom. Every nation, every city, every ethnic group needs like a snapshot, like a, a view of what does it look like when Christ will be king? What does it look like at the very end of the pages of the Bible? What, it, what does it look like? What are the values of Christ's kingdom lived out so we can see them in real time? And that's what God has called Christians to do. He's called us to be a snapshot, uh, an image of the kingdom that others can see and experience. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So it would be preached. We'll talk about Jesus, but it's, it's a testimony. It's, it's saying, this is who God is. This is what he has for you. He wants to bless your life. We've experienced his blessing. And because we've experienced his blessing and understood that God is a God on mission, and this is what he's doing right now, we've joined him in the mission, and so we become not a people for ourselves, but we become a people for others. We become sent people, just like God sent Jesus for us. We imitate Jesus in that we are sent people. We are sent uh, to our neighborhoods and to, and to all corners of the world. So God's got a twofold agenda in this. Uh, the first is he wants to take out of the world a people that are identified with him, a people for his name. Uh, in uh, Acts 15, 14, says, talking about Simon Peter, Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. This was a big revelation to them because the Jews were the chosen people and, and, and the one who was sort of showcasing who God was to the world. But now God was choosing, uh, he, he was drawing many, many people who weren't Jews uh, into the kingdom. Into, and uh, he's choosing a people for his name. And then the second thing that God is doing in this mission, he's, he's preparing people for his, his future world. So there's a couple of metaphors used for both these things. So Taking out a people for his name. So there's a couple metaphors used. One is like harvesting or reaping is another word. But harvesting is like, it's like there's a harvest that is ready to be harvested. And it's basically it's people who don't have a relationship with God. And they've been trying to fill that hunger for God with everything they possibly can. 
and they haven't found, uh, uh, well, there's no real substitute for God. So they say it's like a harvest out there. Or they say it's like, it's like fishing. That's another one. Jesus said, follow me and I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll guide and direct your life in such a way that you could be effective in actually reaching people for me. So those are some of the metaphors the New Testament uses for uh, taking out of the world of people uh, for his name. But then he's preparing people for his future world. And there's lots of metaphors used for this. Uh, in Ephesians 4, it's the metaphor is like, it's like a body that's growing and maturing. Uh, in First Peter, it's like a building being constructed. Um, in Revelation 19, it's like a bride making herself ready. And in Revelation 5, it's like a, a priest being prepared. So it's like using all these different met metaphors to talk about what happens to the people who are followers of God. God is preparing them. Uh, uh, he's, he's shaping them and growing them uh, to, uh, to follow Jesus, to imitate Jesus, to look like Jesus, but also to to demonstrate what life in this kingdom really looks like to the world. And the surprise in this is that God uses mission as the pathway to our maturity. Pop, pop quiz here, pop quiz. Let's see if we can recite Hillcrest's mission statement. Right? How many of you think, I know this now? How many think, I kind of know it? All right, let's, well, then that's why we're practicing. All right, so Hillcrest's mission is we strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. Hey, let's try it again, just because you think, oh, now I got it. Oh, hey, so Hillcrest's mission is we strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. And here's the secret about it that became real to me. I was doing a bit of training with our staff, and, and uh, it just sort of this was something. You, when we strive for mission, when we strive to see people reconciled to God, we get the second part thrown in. And this is backwards to how we've maybe thought for many years, and I think backwards to how I've thought for many years. I've thought, well, I'm going to just work on becoming more and more of a mature Christian, and, and, um, and maybe then as that happens over the course of my life, then finally I'll get to this point, this tipping point, where I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to engage the world. And I kind of think what happens in that is you just keep going down that road till it's over can be that way. I think the other thing is that, that if you have been reconciled to God, then you have been given the ministry of reconciliation to, recognize, to reconcile other people to God. I mean, you, you might be a new Christian. Maybe you, you, maybe you became a Christian this week, if that was true. Then you have, you are a partner with God. You're a co-laborer with God. He's on a mission to reconcile people to himself, to bless the whole world through Jesus. You're on that mission already. Now, you say, I don't know much. Yeah, but what do you know? Do you know something? Yeah. Remember the blind man? He, Jesus healed him. And then the religious leaders came to interrogate him. Tell us, is he a prophet? Tell us, you know, is, what about Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? 
and he, and he knew nothing, almost nothing. I don't know if he's a prophet. I don't know if he's a good man or a bad man. I, all I know is I, I once was blind and now I see. That's all you need to get started. If God has reconciled, himself, reconciled you to himself, what do you know? Say, I once was desperately lonely and I realized all my friends were sort of fair-weather friends and there's nobody really there to backstop when they abandoned me and I realized that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I realized that he will never leave me nor forsake me. That one thing I know. That's enough to get started, right? I don't know. There's so much more in what you could know about what Jesus has done for us. I lived under incredible weight of guilt and sin in my life, and he came and he's forgiven that. I have a clean slate, a second, a second chance. It's a brand new life that I've started with God. That's all I know. It's pretty good. It's just basically, you know, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or a genius to get started on the mission of, with God. But I think we believe that, that I have to be super mature. I have to know all the answers. You don't. In fact, it's probably better you identify you don't know all the answers when someone's asking you. But you say, I, I found something in Jesus. And it's significant. And I don't know a lot more. But what I found, I think it's a treasure. And I think it's, it's worth, it was worth giving myself to. So I think that's a little bit what we do. We need is we need a, a shift to on-the-job training as Christians, right? You know, if you do on-the-job training, you come back hungry for the answers to the perplexing things you ran into on the job, right? So it's sort of like a, you know, work um, a co-op program, right? You go in the you have classroom instruction, and then you go do the job. The next semester, you come back for classroom instruction. You are way more eager to know what the class is teaching you. Because that semester, you flubbed up on the job a whole bunch of times. You didn't know your stuff. You, didn't, you weren't as effective as you, you, you could be. So you come back and you're asking the right questions in, in class. You're eager. You, you're, you're hungry for what do I need to know? Or what do I need to do? And what do I need to become? And that's what happens when we go on mission. It becomes God's pathway for our maturity. So... We want to leave a legacy for the city. Let me just read you our statement that we wrote about this in our, um, in our uh, vision paper. For the city, we desire to be in Moose Jaw's corner, fighting with and alongside and fighting for Moose Jaw, supporting, blessing, serving its people individually and systematically. <laughs> You know Brian, the bad neighbor? Let me read you the rest of his email. He said, further to this program, what some people don't realize is that the foundation is built on biblical principles. It says, there is power in reading the Word of God. Now imagine if we actually did what it said. When you use it and live by it, it becomes even more powerful. What if we really clothed ourselves with love, as this verse suggests, so that love was the first thing people noticed about us when they interact with us? If we made the effort today to, act, to actually act in love and not just talk about love, how, how might that affect the world around us? 
That's essentially the foundation of why I pushed this idea for the community in the first place. Although it's a city program and not a Christian program, it was born out of God's word to love and serve others in our community for such a time as this. 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 That's what it means to be for the city. You say, God wants to bless the whole world through Jesus. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? We come together and we, we say, Lord, help us bless the city. I mean, the main blessing is, is Jesus. Like, we'll never get away from that. The main blessing is to bring Jesus into the, into the equation. But there's a lot of things that come with the kingdom. There's a lot of things that come when Jesus is king. Here's a little bit more of what we've written about for the city. We desire to see the gospel work benefit the whole city. We want to be known as a church that's invested in the success and well-being of our whole city, not a church that withdraws from the city or its people. We have many things at Hillcrest that already demonstrate this value, like Daisy Richardson's created role of community advocate and the relationship with agencies uh, that have been developed, our relationship with newcomers to Canada, um, and the schools and, and schools, or things like the Better Together Food Drive, or our partnership with Joe's Place, or our church family's involvement in welcoming newcomers to Canada. Even still, we believe this is an aspirational value. That means we haven't achieved it yet. We want to be known as being for Moose Jaw. Yeah, we want to be known. We want to demonstrate that we want to bless the city. So how do we begin on this? Let me give you just, I'm going to give you three things that can help. I guess this will be our starter pack for this, for blessing the city, but also just extending the blessing of Jesus to the whole rest of the world. And I, I really mean, some of you, you may, God may put a fire in you to reach the unreached people groups of the world. You say, oh, give me one of those 16,000. Maybe God will put a fire in you to do that. And we have seen um, different ones from our midst go out and do exactly that. And uh, we're excited. We want to partner with those who go to those places. But if you're here in Moose Shaw, we want you to be on mission too. We want you to experience it. We don't want you to miss out on what God's called you to do. We don't want to miss out on being in partnership with God. So here's some things. This is a, I just call this the starter pack. Three things that will help, help us with mission. First one is passion. Passion. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It sounds like passion. Doesn't sound like, yeah, I love God. It sounds like I really, really, really love God. And they said, out the second of it is like it. It flows out of it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. It sounds like a passion as well. So for Jesus' followers, love for God flows into love for our neighbors. And for those who aren't followers of Jesus and are watching the lives of followers of Jesus, if they see a growing love amongst the Christians and a growing love for their neighbors who are not Christians, it legitimizes our claim that we love God. 
What about the people who are hard to love, those who hurt and reject us? We maybe show love to them, but they, they just disregard it or they, they cast it aside. Well, our love becomes a longing for their good. And Jesus was the greatest example. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus shows us God's heart for an unwilling city. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. So Jesus' love it really turns into a lament. He wants blessing for the city. He wants to gather the people in the city who are hurting and who are, who are, who are in difficult times, but they're unwilling. And that might be the case in some of our ways that we reach out to people. You might be rejected or people don't want, uh, um, you know, your loving approach. Well, just come back to this. Come back to this. We want to have a passion for our city like Jesus does. Now, I want, to, I, want, I want you to hear from our community advocate, Daisy Richardson, on this topic. And so let's just watch a little bit of a video where she shares about developing a heart of compassion. Hi, I'm Daisy Richardson, and I've lived in Moostaw for almost 20 years now, and I moved to Moostaw to be part of the team at Hillcrest. So I've been here in different roles for um, all of that time. And Pastor Steve asked me if I would share a little bit about how God has grown my heart for our community. So Steve talked a few weeks ago about God's renovation of our hearts as he aligns our values with his eternal values. And I think that my own heart transformation is how God grows a heart in me for a community or for our city. So how has God grown my heart for our city? Well, I think that's been through lots of things. Um, in recent years, we've had so much good teaching and experience with prayer evangelism. Um, so starting with blessing, meeting needs, spending time with people and being open for, uh, to share the gospel and getting to know my neighbors, praying for them. We're in a new neighborhood, so we're starting that process again. Opening my eyes to brokenness in our community has been another one. And I remember many years ago when I first came to Moose Jaw, I was single and I was new to the city and I was just trying to connect and I volunteered with a local program for at-risk moms. And boy, did that ever open my eyes to a different world that existed right under my nose, right in our own community. And to be honest, I was pretty shocked that these two almost separate worlds existed in Moose Jaw at the same time of um, what she was experiencing and living and my pleasant, peaceful life. And I realized that my response to seeing brokenness can either be to create my own safe bubble to exist in so that I can ignore it, or it can be to let God draw me close enough to him so that his power and life and love can be brought as light into the darkness. So I don't think it's enough to know about needs in our community, and that's part of my job right now, is just to find needs and see if we can meet them. But that's not enough, because that can just be information. If there's no compassion, then we're not compelled to move towards anyone to meet those needs, or we just are project-focused and not people-focused. And that's really hard, and it's messy, and it's often uncomfortable. So some of the specific ways that God has been growing compassion in my own heart have been through these three things. 
I think he's really used being in his word more because the more that I'm in his word, the more I see his own great love and compassion for humanity and his desire to draw people to himself. And when I just am amazed again and again at the stories and accounts that I read and realize his great love and compassion. So that's been really formative for me. The second thing, and Steve touched a little bit on this last week in his sermon, but I, I think that in a process of experiencing my own brokenness and experiencing his mercy and grace, he's been using that to grow compassion in me. So the more that I become aware of my own shortcomings, my own sinful heart, my own brokenness, the more I'm so grateful to receive his mercy and his grace and, and mind-boggling ways. Just think, how could you, how could you heal me through this? How could you forgive me through this? How could you grow me through this? Um, and when I experience his presence with me in the midst of struggles, then it helps me understand more about his love and compassion for me. And, and I have to say that the Set Free Retreat over the years has really been instrumental to help me understand both what that looks like and then how to practice that in my life on a regular basis and to walk in his mercy and grace. So when I experience those things in the midst of my own failings, then I see his compassion. And every time that happens, I feel like he just grows my heart's capacity for compassion a little bit more, that that expands as he loves me through those things. And, and I've noticed that the more I allow him to work in my own heart in that way, then that's when I'm drawn to people who are in need Instead of wanting to move away from them, he compels me to move towards them. And some people are very different than myself. And because of Christ's compassion, I can still move forward um, and connect with them and show his love. Steve said it last week. He said um, we can respond in generosity because of God's generosity towards us. And we, when he said that, I thought that's true of compassion too. We can respond in compassion to those around us, whatever their circumstances are, because of his compassion for us. And then the third thing that I think he's really used, and this has been a delightful part of the process that he's used to um, expand my heart for our city, is to reach out to needs and to reach out to people in partnership with the body of Christ, to do it as the church. And that's amazing and it's so much less scary when you've got a partner in mission that you can go alongside with that can help you um, pray for somebody or meet a need or just find out what's going on or can walk with you in those times or pray with you when you're, um, when you're struggling with circumstances that just seem too big for us to take on. Big exciting events like the Better Together Food Drive, which we've just celebrated. They're great and I love them. But honestly, a food drive isn't what's going to leave a legacy for our city. I think what's going to make lasting change will be when real flawed people like you and like me, who know and love Jesus and are guided by his spirit, walk alongside real broken people in everyday life who need the light of Christ. And that's what's going to transform our city and leave a legacy for generations to come. And that's the kind of transformation that transforms whole families and then the generations that come after them of people are affected 
And when hearts and lives are transformed like that, it trickles down to every part of a community, every part of a city, and you start to see change. And that's really the legacy that I hope that we'll see for Moose Jaw. Couldn't have said it better. See, I think what I think what God wants for us is for us to be just on mission in partnership with Him. You know, it's not a program. It's just we're on an adventure with God. And we come together as a body and we encourage each other and we support each other and we, we, we tell our stories. And, and I, I think probably within many of you, there's, there's sort of a sense of I, I want to, but I, I struggle and I, you know, I, I sometimes get focused on so many other things that choke out that focus in my life. Or uh, I, I sometimes don't know where to start or there's diff- different things that might be hindrances. But I think it's that I want to be, I want to. God, if that stimulus is in your heart today, then I think you're in a good place. To begin, I want to just give you a little bit more to put in your pack here. First, just some prayers to pray. Psalm 67, 1 to 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Why? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. So here's the prayer. Lord, bless me so your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. Make me a conduit of your blessing. Give me a heart for the peoples of our world and the people in my neighborhood. And and would you resource me so I can provide for their needs? If you pray that in advance, then when resources arrive, you're more less likely to spend it on yourself. Because you already have a heart for, Lord, I want to help. And I've experienced that in my own life. When I I ask the Lord to meet a need that I didn't know how to meet a need, that often he comes and resources me to meet the need. Here's another prayer. Um, Jeremiah 29, 4 to 5. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. They're living in a foreign land. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So seek and pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. Seek and pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. First Timothy 2, 1 to 4 says this, I urge then that, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. God doesn't want chaos in our city. And God wants our city to do well. He wants to pour out blessing in our city. This is good. It pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's the ultimate good. So pray for all sorts of people. Pray for the people in your spheres of influence. Just amp up the praying for people. Lord, would you bless that person? And just pray for them, everything you'd want for you that's good. For health and, 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 and for their job advancement and for, and for happiness in their home and peace. And, and pray for those in leadership that our city would be like that. And pray that people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. One last 
prayer. Matthew 9, 35 to 38, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, asking in their, or teaching, sorry, in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So he was proclaiming the good news, and he was meeting their needs. He was healing their sickness and disease. What an incredible combo. Meeting people's felt needs. Their felt need might not be, I feel like I need God. But meet those felt needs. And it might be the opportunity to also meet their ultimate need, which is their need for the Savior, their need for Jesus. And then Jesus says, in response to this, he has compassion for the harassed and helpless. And what does he say for his disciples to do? He says, pray for more workers. Pray for more people imitating Jesus. Pray for, like an army of little Jesuses. To meet people's needs and to bring the the message of the kingdom and the message of Jesus the King into their world. Here's the last thing you need in your backpack. You need compassion. And Daisy talked very eloquently about how that is formed in us through his word and through even dealing with our own issues in our lives and how God transforms us and lovingly guides us uh, away from sin or whatever uh, hang-ups we have in our lives and guides us through that process. And then the walking with the people of God. So compassion, some prayers to pray, and then finally, it's about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I mean, what, what was the main purpose why the Holy Spirit was given? There's a lot of things we, we talk about. It was given. There's a lot of things we can talk about. The main purpose for why the Holy Spirit was given. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The main reason the Holy Spirit was given is to help you to carry the message of Jesus to others. That's the main reason. He'll empower you to be able to share what you have. And that's in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The main reason that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to empower us is so we can be on the mission that God's on, reconciling people to himself, and we can be co-laborers with him in that. Would you stand with me? If you want to know, like, where we live geographically in the Bible, we, we're in the New Testament. We're living in the New Testament age, which is incredibly exciting. It's an age of where all believers are ministers. Some of this got lost in our history. Somewhere along the way, and in, 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 in most church uh, traditions, it became that there was... Uh, the clergy, the pastors, the priests, the, the, the men and women of God who, well, they, they're really doing stuff for God. And it, and it sidelined the average everyday person who's a follower of Jesus. But this is not what the New Testament teaches. The Bible teaches that all believers, any, if you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in him and your faith in him and you call him Lord, 
then you've been called. And he stands ready to empower you and direct you into the mission of God. A question you could just ask yourself is, you know, if God's calling me, if God's empowering me, if God's directing me, who has he equipped me to, to reach? You know, maybe the things that you're involved in. Maybe there's spheres of influence where you, you interact with people who don't know Jesus yet. Ask him that question. God, who, who, have, you, who have you called me to reach? Who, have you, who are you empowering me to reach? Who are you guiding me to reach? How many want to reach people for Christ? You want to. You want to be a part of that adventure. You want to be on that mission for God. Some of you are a little leery about putting up your hand because it's a faith step. I get it. But he stands ready to empower us. He stands ready to, um, to help us in that. So I, I know we're going to sing a worship song. I'm not even sure what the worship song is. But I want to invite you to come. If you say, man, I got stalled out on my mission co-laboring with God on this. Or I've run into obstacles. Or I just got my focus, I just got focused on so many other things, but I realized that God wants to use me in this way. And you want a fresh touch from God in order to do this. You want just, I mean, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in your life to be able to be effective in, in this ministry, in, in reaching people for Christ. Now, I invite you to come. Just gather around uh, this front area, and we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you that you be empowered you are called. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're already called. But you be empowered and directed by God into effectiveness. He can do that in your life. And if you want to trust him for that, I, I, I encourage you just to come. You say, I want to see more people reach for God. I want to be more effective in doing that. Then I invite you to come. They'll, we'll be singing a worship song, but you come. All your ministry teams, just come and start to pray for people. As they come. So don't delay, just come.